2: I found out the Argentinians call me El Mono de Fuego, and I found out that I started trying to learn Spanish after I broke my leg, and I asked an Argentinian fan if she wanted to help me out by teaching me online. And uh, during the first course, she she picked it up, and she was like, El Mono de Fuego! And I was like, I don't know what it is, what is it? And it turns out it's Fire Monkey. And um, I've been trying to hold on to that, because I find it's, it's really goddamn cool. Like, it's really cool.
1: <laughs> ¿Por qué El Mono de Fuego?
2: <laughs> because um, because I am apparently uh, really good at uh, obstáculos de suspensión, so like ricks, basically.
0: Did you speak a lick of Spanish before this last year?
2: Not a single word. I had issues with, um, uh, like, vamos a la playa. I was like, is it really what it is? Like, I, had, I had questions for that. I only had German in school. And Swedish and Norwegian, of course, because if you're Danish, you got to know the Scandinavian languages as well. So I had German for a few years, felt comfortable enough to like read German. And um, I always thought it would be cool to either learn how to sing or to learn Spanish. So I had a choice between those when I broke my leg. And um, I still sing poorly, so here we are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems I can justify that. So how many – if you sat across the table from – Someone? How many different languages could you have like a semi broken conversation with?
2: I could have a semi broken conversation in Swedish and Norwegian uh, and German, and I could talk about what I do if I control the conversation in Spanish. Uh, at the um, Savage Florida, I had a chance to to try to speak Spanish more because there's a very strong Hispanic OCR community in Florida, especially. Um, and uh, they asked me recommendations about European races because they wanted to come over and try and I recommended them to try uh, Bestial Race which is a race in Spain uh, a week after uh, Spartan Worlds so the 10th or something of December they're going to do it on Gran Canaria one of the Canary Islands and um, recommended them to come to that try to explain the race I could like explain the distance and the types of obstacles which I felt, I felt was a um, enough to be conversational in OCR community Spanish. But if they asked me questions that was outside my comfort zone, I had no clue what to say. Like, <laughs> it's du- it's Duolingo Spanish, so it's-, it's really not that good.
1: There's this athlete, Angel Quintero. I'm not sure if you've raised him yet, but he was primarily a spanish speaker and i'm primarily an english speaker but i had a few four years in high school and we had an agreement with each other that at races i would speak only spanish and he speaks only english nice to try to help each other out and i can't say i got any better
2: it's something that has to be done on the regular right yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, like it's else. like quality workouts. Like if you do a quality workout every second month, like it's not, you're not really going to get much much better. You probably should probably do that a little bit on the regular as well. And I'm doing especially now that we're traveling, I'm only just getting in my Duolingo lesson. Like I want to be good and like spend those 15 20 minutes a day practicing, but even it's supposed to be vacation-ish to be traveling like this, but it really isn't. Like we, Eden and I, we got stuff to do all the time. So it's not a lot. It's like panic in the evening, like, oh my God, I don't want to lose my streak. So I got to go in and, and do a lesson. Mm. Um, you don't sit still, do you? Well, I mean, I just wrapped up a full first season of the new Vikings in a few days. So I, I have capacity to, to just, if I've watched things, it's easy for me to not do stuff. If I don't, I get a little, like, uh, what are we going to do now? Like, what should we do now?
0: Mm, I'm the same way. I have a question that just popped up in my head as you're talking about languages and you and Bracken chatting about it. So recently I have had a few races with Alvaro Vasquez, who strictly Mm -hmm. speaks Spanish, right? You saw him Mm -hmm. down in Florida. And half the fun is bullshitting before and after the race, sharing race stories. And I find it frustrating that I can't talk to him. Like mm-hmm. I know Spanish but not well enough to converse anymore. And then I think about you over in like the European contingency and the different languages spoken and you guys cross country lines all the time for your races. What is that aspect like? Like you're you're at the start and finish lines all the time with people you can't speak
2: with all the time. It's 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 it can be difficult. I would say that most um around our age uh, are doing well enough in English to be somewhat conversational. If they ch- travel, they are normally good enough. But if you go to a country, you will probably meet like 70% of the people there are not that, that conversational. I've been racing a lot in Spain, and um, S- Spain is just one of those countries where there still is a huge part of the com- uh, population who haven't learned English well enough to be conversational in it. Same in Italy, for that sake. And then um, three years ago, oh, can I... It's a bad time to say that, but three years ago, I went to Russia um, to to compete. I was invited by the federation to come try out a few races, and it was a really cool experience. But there were almost nobody. I had like one or two touch points with people who I could be somewhat conversational with. But that was weird. That was like it was like hard for me to communicate, and I had to look out the specific people who could communicate in English at a decent level. That said, it was awesome like the races was good people were super nice I've been on three different Russian TV channels I have no clue what they actually asked me or how they translated my answers <laughs> but I, I had a blast doing it and I got to see Moscow which was nice and meet some of the Russian athletes because you know um, the, the OCR community is strong over there with Sergey Pirilikin and Elisa and Sergey Sidin and, and so on so they have some incredible racers who, uh, who are excelling um, within OCR
0: I have one more follow-up question to that, and that would be then, if you go travel to another country to race, which again is common for you over there, does everybody just default to English, even though it's like their broken third language, Everybody,
2: you will, you will approach each other in English? Is that what I'm understanding, maybe? Depends on how proud you are. I haven't raced a lot in, in France, but I believe uh, the French is very uh, proud of the language, so uh, they will not uh, go from French <laughs> to English. Some of them will, of course But um, um, No, I mean They they normally do to be inclusive If they can Um, They try And even if they can't They have like a few words Um, Especially um, We went to Slovakia and Poland a few times I've been to Poland uh, quite a few times Because they have some really awesome Like short course races over there I like to do uh, Called Barbarian Race They have a 400 meter Like nine obstacle Just like boom, boom, boom Hit it hard Um, And even if they don't speak English that well, like we can communicate with hand gestures and um, most of them actually just want to come over and grab a photo. So it's not that they want to hear about the history of Denmark or or anything like that. Or um, After my first race over there, I, I saw one of the female athletes who did quite well. She was um, at a conversational level and she was there with her boyfriend who didn't speak anything but Polish. And I walked up to them because I had a day in... I had a day in Karko, one of the big Polish cities, the next day. And I said, hey, guys, what would you recommend for me to do in Karko? And they said, you know what? Let's show you around. What do you want to do? And I said, I plan to do a, a run because that's the best way for me to check out a new city because you, you get to cover a lot of ground, you get in your workout, and you still get like a lot of rest because it's like running and seeing things. So they said, no problem. We'll we'll do that for you. So they planned out a um It's a pretty long run, like 14, 15-mile run through Kako. uh, And they wanted to show me a bunch of things. So they couldn't explain to me well enough what it was. So they came prepared. They had printed out from Wikipedia in English descriptions of what we were going to go see. So there's like, oh, this church or this market or this building or this castle. So we ran a route that they planned. And then they just gave me a piece of paper and tried to explain to me the history of what we were seeing. And that was... That was such a nice way to like show me around because they really made an effort, first of all, and second, we got to see some cool things that I would probably never have found myself. Um, so I think it, a, about that a lot. And when people say, oh, I'm coming to Copenhagen, do you have like half a day to hang out and show me around? I ask, well, how's your running, and, and do you guys want to go see some things? And so we just... Put on running shoes and, and try to go around the town. Uh, Copenhagen is quite small as well in that sense, so you can you can run around and see most of the um, sites that are worth seeing in in Copenhagen.
1: Um, I bet there's a market for this as an industry.
2: I thought about that as well. I was like, you know running trips like you, you go somewhere and you, you meet a local running guide because the walking tours are quite popular. yeah, but you can just see three times as a mountain. Yes, and, you know half the time.
1: Exactly. That would be interesting.
0: I like mm. that idea. My sister studied abroad in Copenhagen. She speaks very, very fondly of that town.
2: Hmm. I feel. I feel that most people. Uh, most people do. It's. It. It works really well. Infrastructure is great. It's easy to get around, and um, especially if you're visiting, like you only get the good things about living there. You only get the hygge, which are, is our word for comfort and fun. And it's it's ingrained in the Danish culture. You get to seek those things out, so that's really cool. Mm. Um, I was at Copenhagen Business School studying for six years, and we had a lot of exchange students um, come in and out. And now that I teach there as well, I, I get to see like uh, the happy parts of being young uh, and outgoing in Copenhagen. It's it's really really cool. <laughs> it is. Um, I did do an exchange in America, though. I think that opened up my eyes to, to traveling in a different manner. I, we never traveled much when I was a, a kid. We had like one trip a year. We always went to the same farm in Hungary because uh, we loved going there. And our financial situation had one vacation to go for. And so we went for the, the safe shot. My mom stepdad, brother and I. Um, but as soon as I had the opportunity to, to try out and explore things a bit more myself, the the world kind of opened up. So it's not that I've had like a globe-trotter world-traveling thing or goal in my life per se. I just don't see it as a limitation. So if I really want to be part of the American OCR community, if I want to come over here and race and get my butt kicked and run with the fast guys and, and try those things, yeah, I'm not limited by the distance or the flight. I'll, I'll see it more as, a, as a, something that has to be solved, like a little project. All right, it's going to be... $1,200 of flights. It's going to be so-and-so many days. It's going to be so-and-so with the language and the terrain and so on. How do I, how do I solve that? And then I, I make it happen. So I don't know if that's um, something that's come from traveling within uh, countries in Europe because, th- I mean, I can go to Sweden in about 20 minutes from where I live. So it's, it's like that's mm. another country that's really close <clears throat> by. Germany is also just a drive away and so on. Um, it's not so much that it's if you've tried traveling a little bit and you don't see it as a limitation you can actually get to do so many things because i meet a lot of people over here who are like wow i'd love to come to copenhagen and try red bull conquer the castle it looks like an insane event it'd be so cool and it's it's not that far again it's not that far it's a big travel and time difference and jet lag of course but it's not a limitation to go. It's definitely possible, and I, I I like to to show that as well. That if you if your passion is to to try certain things within your career or passion, it's definitely go for it. Like it's it's better to do that than ten years later be like, oh man, I wish I I tried this thing uh, really hard. Like if it's a big enough passion for you, it's definitely possible to um, to make things work, even though you're not um, a millionaire or heavily supported or so on, it's possible to restructure uh, structure your life in a manner. So that's... Uh...
1: It seems to be a very European attitude. I have a sister in Sweden right now and a brother in Hungary. And one of their big takeaways is that because countries are so close, people cross country borders like they cross states over yeah. here. Yeah. And then it breaks down their reservation towards international travel because everything's international. Whereas over here, we see it as a big demand a big cost and a big stressor europeans are used to doing the visa thing or doing the passport thing and doing the customs thing and then it's not a big deal for them anymore and oftentimes you can find like kirk and i if we were to fly from here to california for a race we're lucky to find a flight under 500 dollars. oftentimes it's up around the 700s Mm. to get to like seattle or san francisco or something like that i mean you can get to to france you can get to london you can you can get to budapest for six seven hundred dollars a lot of the time so it's just it feels like a
2: massive hurdle to us because we're so isolated in our country i actually forgot to think about customs and visas i have a the Danish passport is a it's pretty close to a do whatever you want to do passport Hmm. um for some reason like it's just it just allows you to do i don't i I rarely not a
1: very intimidating country
2: no no, and I'm not very intimidating I'm myself. I'm, like, 5'5", five, five, and I smile a lot. So, I mean, I'm also easy to just, like, push through airports easy. Like it's, uh, I noticed that in all your race photos checks.
0: from Jacksonville, by the way. I didn't see a single one you weren't smiling in. You and I were around each other a good bit. <laughs> I look like I'm hating my life, and you look like you're on a roller
2: coaster. Oh, it's – I don't know. It's it, it, I'm not even – uh, my race face gets, like, um, the facial, like, uh, I wish I could relax my face more and look calm and cool. Mm-hmm. I can't. Like, my my, my face, I vi- wish we had video right now. My face is just, like, all pulled up and my teeth are bared. Um, oh, so that's, am, wait, I, is that a
0: grimace or a smile or a little of it's, both?
2: It's, it's more, it's, I think it's mostly a grimace, but, I mean, I was also happy in Jacksonville. It was so much fun, felt great, like, no, no need there to, to not look happy for me. Um, I had much fun. Okay. I didn't have as much fun in Savage Race, I admit. I felt I felt not very competitive there, and it had me like being a bit more like sour and unhappy. Um, and actually, when I look at those photos, I also look like I'm <clears throat> like working harder, even though I didn't feel like I could enter uh, any sort of like pushing zone in the same way as um, as we did with the uh, Jacksonville sprint, something, at least.
1: Something interesting about Savage Race... Is that it's the U.S. uh, series that has probably the most, of the major series, the most technical obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so it's seen as a race for the non-runners. However, because it's not based around carries and like tasks like long crawls or heavy hoists and multiple different carries, it actually is more conducive to runners for a large portion of the race because there's mm. nothing to really slow you down until you get to a really difficult rig. It's kind of like red light, green light, where it's mostly green lights <laughs> until a red light slams you on your, on the brakes. But the the Spartan race or some of the others, they break up the rhythm, even though the the rigs aren't difficult, the carries and the crawls
2: and things kind of grind people down. I love what you said about tox. First of all, I've been talking about that within Danish OCR for many, many years. I've um, I've had a coaching business in Denmark where we did group training events and we've had many thousands of people come through and we've been in like the National Federation talking about things. And we, we did a lot of talk, especially in 2018, leading into the European Champs, which was hosted in Denmark, about what is an obstacle. And we define things with tasks and then obstacles. And an mm. obstacle is basically something that you move through. Like you move through a crawl, you move through a rig, or you move through a carry. But if there's something you do where you're not moving, which could be a herc for example, you're you're solving a task on the point. It could it could just as well be 10 strict pull-ups. It could just as well be that. Or um, we, ha- we have often an atlas lift, not an atlas carry. So we have a really heavy atlas stone. You lift it up in the air, put it on a, a thing, and take it down. But that could just as well be a 200-pound deadlift that you had to solve as a task. And when I look at a race map, I I actually identify things between obstacles and tasks, and I plan out how to solve them differently. Um, So when a savage race comes up and it has primarily obstacles that you have to move through, it's different how you enter them, exit them, and how you feel during those and when it comes to a task, which will wear you down in a slightly uh, different way.
1: What is your field of study? You said you spent six years at university, and the way you're speaking right now makes me think you have a very unique way of looking at problems. What was your field of study?
2: Um, I, ha- I hold a master's degree in mathematics and economics, uh, specializing in multivariate <laughs> statistical modeling um, and uh, data analysis. So I think uh, the popular term now is data scientist. Um. Yeah, I think that's the popular term. I haven't gotten around to spending so much time working on those things. I still keep in touch with uh, academia and read up on uh, data science news and stuff like that, which is uh, uh, not something I often speak about because it's probably the least sexy thing to to keep up, update with. Um, But I worked in Experian, which is um, a worldwide uh, data uh, company during most of my study time. um, And I... After this, I might spend time in a data analytics department and work on modeling and um, trying to predict outcomes based on on data. So I think I'd love to get back to doing that at some point. Um, It's fun. Uh, It's fun enough. But, I mean, it's not nearly as fun as obstacle course racing, which is why I'm doing it. Because you you guys can most probably relate. I, I, I know you can because I've heard the podcast many times. But the financial element of trying to run head-to-head with people here is a very unstable uh, element in life. Um, it's hard to to make that. Um, I, I know for a few people, it's definitely a living and, and a little bit more, but it's very few people. Um, and they both and live in
1: Canada together in the same they, house. <laughs> they either live
2: in Canada or on the top of a mountain in Malibu. Um yeah. And even even if you live on the top of a mountain in Malibu, you need to have your coaching business and so on in order to, like, really make it work. Uh, at the moment, as far as I understand, and and that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's okay, but I accept it, so it's okay uh, that it's hard for me to do those things. And it's funny to know when you're when you're there with your financial struggles, and you're like, can I even race there? Is does this? Am I allowed to like travel and do this? Can I like focus on that? Knowing I can just. Ask. I'm at Ernst & Young on a part-time gig at the moment uh, after I broke my leg, knowing I could just ask my boss, hey, what about that full-time position and that paycheck that looks really good with that canteen that has good food every day and security and safety and maybe like a nice car and stuff like that. It's right there. It's right there. Um, I haven't been that tempted to go that direction, but after breaking my leg, and having setbacks over and over again. I mean, I've looked at it every once in a while. I was like, dang, it looks really, really nice. You know, it looks a r- r- little bit too nice at the moment. Because I, I still feel like I have things I want to do within the sport. And I'm a bit split on how much do I want to put my time in each camp. And that's that's such a life balance. I think a lot of people who want to do um, any activity or passion at uh, more than just a hobby level, they battle with. If you, If you love painting like how much time are you going to put in painting versus how much time are you going to spend with your family or sports or work and 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 so on and so on and that's um that's a very intricate balance of of life which i find very interesting to to try to work on um and i've been lucky to spend no i'm not going to say that i haven't been lucky i've been i have prioritized to spend as much time as i possibly can within ocr and that's not by necessarily adjusting my income level, because that's an that's a level that's hard to adjust. But um, you can financially work more on how much money you actually spent. because uh, expenditure is much easier to adjust than uh, than income, because um, most of that is in in your hands, especially when it comes to time.
1: We have an interesting sport, running, and that if you look at the stats across the board. I think it's something like less than eight percent of high school athletes, at least in the United States, go to college and compete as student athletes. And less than two percent of those student athletes become a professional athlete. Whoa. But that's the that's the image that a young athlete has is I'm gonna be one of those two percent and make, you know, a league minimum of three hundred thousand dollars and then sign mm. my extension and get a couple million in big sponsorships. But the reality is our sport is made up of semi pros. Oh, and yeah. what you're describing is the semi pro <laughs> lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is we 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 imagine it I've made it. But the reality yes. <laughs> is that you never under- you never know have I made it or not. And you never know how long should I dedicate to making it and what does making it even look like. Yes. And after a while mm-hmm. you come to grips with maybe there is no making it, but there's a version where I can continue doing it until I have to move on to the next thing. That semi-professional lifestyle is not the glamorous one, but it's the sustainable one if you're willing to piecemeal it together.
2: I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. And those thoughts are recurring, and they have to be up there in conversation between the semi-pros within themselves and between each other in groups to to try to figure these things out. Because, I mean, I have a few sponsors that, that definitely help me out. But it's different in Denmark. The general, um, uh, the general structure of sports and how you support athletes is, is very different. And I remember when I won European champs in 2018, I won $1,200. $1, but I got a gold medal and a title, and I felt like a champion. <laughs> so I actually went to my boss three days later and quit my student job. And I was like, I'm going to try to be a full-time professional absolute course racing athlete i did that with twelve hundred dollars and a gold medal (laughs) gotta start somewhere thank you Ida.
0: leon um how old are you i turned 30 this summer you're gonna be 30 and have you worked after graduating with your master's have you worked a full-time job for a period of time before doing this hybrid semi-pro athlete life or have you always been half half in both camps
2: If we define full-time as about 37 hours a week, I have been full-time with uh, something within sports for a while, either with my own, um, because I I try to put that in one business. I used to have different businesses. I had OCR Vest for my e-commerce, where I sold clothing, OCR Training Denmark for our group training, fit business training, personal training business, and then something for my athletic endeavors. And now I just put everything in OCR Training Denmark. Uh, it makes it so much easier with taxes and accounting I don't enjoy accounting I have had classes within it don't like it it's not much fun Um, so I keep everything in one and I've definitely spent more than full time with that but I don't mind spending hours and hours doing these things I actually really really enjoy it and I've always had a a part time job with something which was 100% stable with what I got paid because I'm I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm not um, I'm not ignorant to the elements in life that, that matter. I know I got to pay my rent, and I know blah, 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 blah. I, I own an apartment. I have a mortgage, and I have a car, and I have expenses, and I'm still wanting to save up money. It's It's normal for me to think like that. Of course, I'm going to have a plus on my account every single month. Of course, I'm going to invest my money. Um, in stocks and so on and of course I'm going to be um, saving for a rainy day like it, it, it's it's going to happen and in order for those things to be fulfilled I've had to have a stable income from somewhere and I've always had a, a teaching gig not always but the past four years I've been teaching at Copenhagen Business School and um, it's not often it's like every second Thursday I have like three classes mm. um, as a lecturer in there and It's not a lot, but they pay really well. So by doing that, I know how much money a year I'll make on teaching. Um, And that's enough to cover basically everything I need if I'm not flamboyant with stuff. Um,
0: Well, the the alluring thing about the other side of your, let's say, business model is that Everything else that you described initially, like your coaching and your training and your own racing, like they all filter into the same funnel and they feed each other. Like the energy you put into one benefits the other and vice versa, which is kind of what Bracken and I have going. Once you say Bracken, like that side of things where you are rewarded for your hard efforts, whether it's a personal achievement, because doesn't, don't people want to train with the world champion Leon Kofet? I bet they do. Don't they Leon? (laughs) And, and so that can still be whatever you want it to be and that's why like investing in your own training and your selfish endeavors like traveling over here to race is actually a business decision of course it's fulfilling you personally too but it's also a business decision isn't it
2: yeah it it helps with um so the business positive perspective of doing this America trip uh, lies primarily in in two things um it lies in marketing like it increases my marketing value to whoever whichever brand i work with if that is for like short term or longer term uh, if it's either project based or sponsor based with a brand um doing this trip is going to increase my value within social media and community so of course that's something I can try to um it, as, it only increases the value if I communicate it in a in a good enough manner to whatever brand I'm trying to work with that is that that did that make sense mm-hmm mm-hmm And second, um, I developed an online uh, grip and pull power – two online grip and pull power training programs when I was lying on my couch with my leg in like um, a donjoy and I couldn't move it around for like a few months after surgery. I picked up Spanish and I started doing this online um, grip and pull training programs. I've been wanting to do them for years because um, a lot of the coaching we've done in group training sessions have been focused around rig completion in Denmark. We've had – yeah. I think we had like four and 4.7,000 people have been through our trainings in Denmark. And what we've seen is that um, it's easy to learn a trick, especially if you're like somewhat fit or know stuff about your body. So it's easy to know that if you put your hip a little bit differently on a rig, you're going to create momentum in a different way. Or if you grip something with your hands a little bit different, you're going to get a stronger grip or so on. Uh for example, Kirk, do you do you remember when we were going into uh, rings at the uh, Jacksonville sprint? Yep. And there was a guy in front of us who fell down the rig. Yep. The way he I the as soon as he touched the first ring I knew he was going to fail. I looked up that little hill and he touched it and I was like, well, wow, he he's not sure of what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. And, ther- and those rings were th- slick too. They were they were kind of gross. Exactly. Yep. And not only were they gross with mud, the 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 texture of the material was was bad like it, it was very slick so you had to think about how to grip the ring rings and if you haven't put a thought process into that already um it can hurt you and that's tricks like somebody could have literally yelled at him and he could have learned that trick immediately what you cannot learn immediately is having strength and power enough to do moves that require strength and power you don't have um For example, at the toughest events in in Denmark, you can skip the rope climb and the following obstacle if you complete the salmon ladder. The salmon ladder is a ninja warrior obstacle. If you complete three jumps in a salmon ladder, you can skip the rope climb and the following obstacle. It's called the fast lane. If you want to do the salmon ladder, you need a certain amount of power to lift your body weight and move the bar with you. Um, That you cannot just learn in a training session with tips and tricks. So I wanted to develop this training program to help people increase in strength and to teach them the difference between endurance and power, both when it came to gripping things, uh, that's forearm strength, and when it came to pulling things, which is basically your lats and biceps doing work and your body understanding pulling motion towards your body. When I say pulling motion, it's not just like pulling things from up to down. It's also pulling things from in front of you towards you. Anything you pull towards you, that's what I'm talking about with pull power. So the grip and pull power programs have been going in much better than I expected. I was hoping for them to do well because I I did put in a lot of work to make these programs quite well. Um, so that's my second income element on this trip, which feels more safe than trying to gun for prize money. Because I get to talk to people over here and I see how the training is and I see how people go go in, in and out of obstacles and um, I have a decent American following and they've been following the process of me developing this program. So coming over here, especially doing stuff like Savage Race, people see me move in a certain way in obstacles. They are like, oh, how do you move this way in obstacles? And a lot of that is based on a high enough level of strength um, to maintain body control through obstacles. And that's why I made the programs basically. I feel like that was a very long way to explain my second potential income uh, while, uh, while traveling.
1: <laughs> that tracks. And I think it identifies why you can be smiling and have fun while traveling. Because I've done race trips where I travel for a race, and the trip is not truly enjoyable until after I've earned money at the, at the race. Because I'm counting on some income to balance out the cost of the trip. And if you go in without needing to do that, then it's just enjoyable the whole time. And if you manage to win something, then that's just bonus. Mm, yes, but most people don't totally, have
2: that. It it has to be a bonus. Otherwise, the level of stress you put on yourself during a race, um, I find it, it's very hard. If I go there and like, oh, I have to do this and then I maybe fail an obstacle or my legs are just like feels like somebody put them on the wrong way. Like it feels like I can't run as – good as i want then that becomes a stressor that doesn't allow you to find yourself in the race and then race the best you can
0: that makes sense Uh, i want to dive into um your u.s trip more because is is this the second or the third time you've come over here
2: i think it's the third because um yeah no fourth fourth actually how about that Fourth um, racing trip? Yeah, uh, four, three years ago. I came over with nikolai Dam, my uh, uh, main training buddy back home. I was at he that race. To... We did... Uh, yeah, Spartan So... You were there. I remember that. We did Spartan SoCal. Yep. Then we went to Flagstaff to try that out. That was really cold, but like way awesome. We got to run the Grand Canyon. We did... Um, it wasn't rim to rim, but we did from one rim all the way down back to the same rim. Just like a little loop uh, longest run I've ever done in time was that run it was probably one of the most beautiful ones as well it was really awesome and then we went to Arizona um, and raced there as well which was fun because um, before that trip I, I straight up hated Spartan Race like straight up I just hated it not that I hated the organization because I understand now that <laughs> Um, especially within the American OCR community, there can be a lot of emotions attached to how you uh, look at a brand, <laughs> especially if you've been trying to work with that brand and your expectations of how that uh, collaboration ha- should be hasn't been fulfilled. Um, then a lot of feelings can kind uh, of rise. It's not that way that I hate, hate a Spartan before that I had only done one Spartan race, and that was in, in Barcelona. And I fucking hated it. Like I really, I loved uh, the the northern European way of racing. I loved toughest, and I loved the local races we had with like rigs and uh, the competition was close, and we had fun. And I went to, Sp- to Spain to do Spartan Barcelona, and I just felt like I did a twelve kilometer trail run with like shitty obstacles. And I was like, why are people so hyped about this? And why is the ticket? Like um, $1, 150 dollars. Why is this so expensive to pay to do shitty obstacles? Like, and it was it was like sixty miles out of Barcelona, so it was a really expensive trip. And I actually I just got really annoyed with Spartan. I was like, this this race is poop. This race has nothing to do with OCR. <laughs> and I did, at that time I didn't know anything much about the American scene. And then I started listening to podcasts and checking out races. And I've, I've checked out all the Tahoe races that has coverage. And I, I started to be interested and intrigued. And I was like, wow, this is... So it's not so much the race itself, which is cool, because it's still just a trail run with simple like, tasks and obstacles. But if you run really close to people and you feel like you're competitive, now it's fun. Because, I mean, I, I think if the three of us, we go bowling and we're pretty close to doing well enough in bowling, I'll have a blast. I like competing. Even though I don't know how to bowl very well, I would have a blast like going bowling with you guys if we were like competitive with each other.
0: I'm pretty good. So Be I'm, careful.
2: Oh, I, I yeah, I'm not very good, uh, but I Crush think you. I would have fun. Um, so I came up with Nikolai because I was like, we we gotta go try, and we came over and we actually like we had people to run with the entire course. And after that, I was like, you know, Spartan's not that bad. It's fun. Like the obstacles are still poop, but um, the racing with people. Who ran well and you were like tired, and you were like swapping positions i loved that that part um but that took me a long time to get over myself basically and and to see that um the capacity of running um both within the spartan community but also within the american but ma- mainly within the spartan community it's something i still battle with my concept of who i want to be as an as a racer and how i how i view spartan especially Spartan because I loved I love the Savage Race. I had fun. I love racing in Europe. But we talked about this already, the battle of like who who do you view yourself as as a racer and the semi pro versus pro versus amateur lifestyle. And I don't think you can just neglect Spartan and then call yourself like a full on OCR athlete. I, I find that very hard to do. So I want to do more of that. And also, I really enjoy the community of the uh, people who run Spartan, both men and women. I love the girls here, so much, so nice, so much fun. There's a lot of guys who are fast, open, and amazing. I still don't enjoy the race very much, like the obstacles and all, very often the terrain. I'm not necessarily like, yay, this is amazing. Um, but what motivates me is the people and being a very social guy, that's enough. Like that's enough for me to get motivated by the race. Does it annoy me that I had to run around with um, uh, in a desert for like three hours and like ruin my feet and toenails uh, in Abu Dhabi in order to like go to a world championship event where there's no chance I could be competitive? Yeah, that annoys the shit out of me. But I still wanted to go and get the experience, and I was lucky that Ian Hosek also had a pretty shit race, so we we enjoyed like sitting on dunes during the race, emptying our shoes of sand and. Like, we, we had a good time, but I did I felt already like there's no chance I can be competitive in this terrain. Um, and it had very little to do with obstacle racing in that sense. It was, like, weird terrain running. So I'm still, like, forth and back with my love for Spartan racing. Um, but if I view, view it as, as like, a, a chance to be with people and the communities here, I'm in love with it. If I look at it just as, are these obstacles great and fun to like run and complete? Not that much fun, to be honest. Like, it, there, it's not that much fun. And I don't know if that's because I don't feel like, um, I feel more like an obstacle runner than a trail runner. I would love to run trails, I just don't wanna, I'm not competitive in trail running. And I don't know if I wanna be, cause I love like having the obstacle as an element. I love the thought process, you, you start a race, and you never know what's going to happen. Like You can be in 10th position or 5th position, and you will never quit pushing because anything can happen close to that finish line. Anything can happen. And for the non-competitive people, the joy that I see in people having overcome... Say you do a race with 25 obstacles. That's not 25, um, 25 chances to fail. It's 25 chances to succeed and overcome something you may not have considered possible to overcome and i still believe that having 25 success experiences in like a matter of an hour an hour and a half the health benefits of that mentally it's incredible and when you're at a race course disregarding what race you did the joy and happiness afterwards that is intoxicating and i still love that in the community uh today so it's coming over here and to see that joy spread as well mm, that's beautiful that just it's just beautiful I don't feel like I have a direction of what I'm saying now. I feel like I'm just, like, sharing thoughts. <laughs> I hope you that's okay. You just
1: the, the mission statement of our podcast.
2: <laughs> Perfect. I'm happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> well, I have two follow-up questions with all of that, actually. So, one, I'm assuming... So, Leon's taken three trips over to the U.S., I guess, or four, maybe, just for racing alone, it sounds like. Like, that was the primary objective. And even though... Uh, I find it humorous that you call the obstacles poop, by the way. You can say shit on this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Hi, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Um, I assume your reason for these trips is to leave better or for it to make you better. And now maybe I'm reading between the lines too much here, but um, uh, you're coming back from a broken leg. I believe your tibia, is that correct? You you broke a bone in your tibia. We'll get to that. Is that correct? Mm.
2: It's correct. It's the tibia, yeah.
0: And so – I assume part of your logic was to come over here now. Cause it wouldn't be like your best timing to come out here and show the <laughs> Americans what the European contingency <laughs> is because you yourself admittedly aren't where you want to be with your running right mm. now is understandable coming back from injury. But is the, was the purpose of this trip? Like personally, let's talk business aside, all that stuff. Is it to be mm. better? Was it to just have an experience? Like I assume you're hoping this trip moves
2: the needle for you fitness wise. Correct. Mm. Is that right? So uh, two things. First, um, I believe I brought the Danish dominance by bringing Ida. Uh, so uh, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's a freak. Been drawing right now. <laughs> I love to see because she she had a she actually had a fracture in her foot about a year ago, a stress fracture, and uh, she's been very limited in her in her training and it's been very patient, which is very motivating for me to see her patience and over time grow and see her perform now. So that that brings a lot um on a, on a personal note there's um there's two reasons for me to come and the first one is that um i wanted to prove uh, to myself um that I still want to um do off course racing um and and that comes in that comes in two elements there's a motivational element and there's a how do you feel about yourself element and it can be hard to stay motivated when when you feel like the world is working against you and I don't want to be a victim of life I don't want to be a victim of faith or anything um, I've had too many things go the wrong way over the past uh, three years I've been lucky unlucky with um, cancer closing the family losing my mom too early becoming an orphan and I've been unlucky with injury like the the broken tibia is is not even me being dumb it's it's me being unlucky stepping in something and my leg bending the wrong way um so it's not like i i didn't take like an extra risk i just ran down a hill fast like we all do and I, i just felt like that was unlucky and the setbacks i'm having now we haven't necessarily defined where they're coming from and i've been feeling like it's it's very frustrating it actually gets me a little emotional just thinking and talking about it that it's i just feel like I haven't had that chance because a year ago I spent two months in Colorado training and I've never felt in that good of a shape because I went to VJ's place and I, I know his running capacity is great. I went there with purpose and ambition. I, I in, invested a lot of my own money and time in taking two months out of my life to do this and I wanted to come home and I was like, COVID has to be over now. Races are opening up. I'm looking forward to this season of my life like i was so excited about that and this fracture just like came um mentally for me at at a very bad moment because i had done the colorado trip a year ago because i needed to to know if i still wanted to do obstacle racing after covid because covid was really mean to my to the lifestyle i had spent three years building um so this trip right now uh, is a bit of a follow-up to, to that experience in terms of motivation. I'd love to come out here and race and have fun and have a blast. Um, and also, um, it is it is also a, a good chance to know where I'm at in the recovery process. Because if you're all by yourself with all your workouts and... You can miss a 400 meter rep by two seconds and feel very bad about yourself, which is dumb. You shouldn't. It's just like how it is that day. Maybe there was a bit of wind on the track, or maybe your left foot felt a little heavy, or whatever. Like, two seconds, fucking two seconds. It's okay. But it's when you do it, and you yeah. guys can probably relate to that feeling. Like, you're just like, I'm the slowest person in the universe, and this ain't working. Like, those emotions and feelings can be very frustrating. When we planned this trip like five months ago, though, I didn't expect to come over here with limitations. I thought I would come over here with two months of good training and in pretty good shape. Um, it didn't turn out like that. So I, I, I had to like readjust my uh, performance metric on going here, which is the second element. That's the performance and training. I've had to adjust that leading into the trip. And on the trip, because when we raced in Jacksonville, which was the first weekend, I, the super... Uh, the 10k i did as a hard tempo effort and yeah I, I couldn't run with the fast guys but i was 100% aligned with that cuz i had prepared my mind and expectations for that experience um it's not easy and i had to like like there's a lot of self talk there i've been working on my on that with my mental coach of like how to enter a race uh, in that manner i felt good um and um did i place 4th I think I maybe have placed 5th 5th 6th 6th the sixth.
0: super I, th- I think I nipped you there at the end Leon but you didn't let me do yes. that on Sunday. On no.
2: March, you right? definitely nipped me there but when you when you overtook me on the super I was 100% in scent and I was like I don't care. That's perfect. I'm on my I'm on my own agenda here mm. doing my thing. I'm not supposed to try to push cuz I need to know how my body reacts to this effort in this terrain. Like even jumping down from walls is the. Like, I'm a little bit worried about that still, um, so I was 100 percent in the sand. I felt good, and I was like, "Well, time-wise, it wasn't horrible." So when we went out on the sprint, I was like, "I'm gonna try to push a little harder, see how that goes." Push harder, felt okay, still felt slow, but I felt like I was I could run a little less scared in the terrain because um, I was scared on Sunday. I, was, I, I, I know on the super, I was scared of like stepping at a wrong space and like getting. And in Jacksonville, everything is kind of gnarly. You're either running in mud or you're running in, like, weird, like, um, uneven terrain. But on the sprint, I wanted to, like, see, okay, if I open up a bit more, what happens? So I open up a bit more, not like I would probably do for a race race. And when when you fell off seawall, when you fell off seawall, and I saw that, and I was like, all right, third place is now an option, I decided, heck, to hell with it i'm gonna race now that's when i opened the the, the valves the valves <laughs> and i just um i just pushed the pedal uh, to the metal and i was like let's see what my body says to this so i went harder i ran and i i started grimacing and i was like this is hard and i could feel like that like the pain and i was like this is amazing i felt so happy it's like a push i'm like I wasn't even running that fast. (laughs) I knew that I could, I can see I'm not running that fast, but I felt like I was, you know, like I felt like I was trying, and that effort was amazing. So after having done that without getting, there wasn't really a big, bill to pay afterwards i didn't get like a huge pain i didn't get like i didn't feel bad i was sore like everybody was a sore in the upper body after jack and i don't necessarily even know why but i think because everything was was so
0: slick i was my shoulders were a wreck i think it must have been because tensing up i would assume
2: yeah all the obstacles we like we're like kind of bent arms and like get it get
0: it it." Mm -hmm. i do Um, appreciate by the way when i was in the burpee pit after z wall uh you looked me in the eye. I, I don't know. I was on 10 or 15 burpees. I don't remember what I was on. And you looked me in the eye. You probably don't even remember it. And you go, ah, I'm sorry, man. Like very genuinely in the middle of the race, you you told me you were sorry for me. <laughs> and I found that oddly I, endearing.
2: I was because, I mean, I had a feeling you could go out and kick butt and like win the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you would have loved to do that. And then fucking muddy seawall. Mm-hmm. And it, I know on seawall, it's not a mad... It's just like you slide off at a odd time because I slid off seawall as well, but I just had my hands and mm. both grips at that time. If I was like in between a move and slid off my feet, I don't know I, I'm really strong in my arms, so maybe that would have worked. But I don't know. Like I could have easily fallen off it well mm. as well if it's like, if you slip at a at an odd time.
0: Yeah, like, that's what I happened C-wall. to me. Yeah, Brecken, yeah. has anybody yeah. ever apologized to you in a race? <laughs> Been like, oh man, I'm sorry, you suck right now. I'm the
1: apologizer. I've apologized to some people. For what? When you get to that point, when you have a race going and they don't get to win because of an issue or when they're clearly better. Uh, like I had one John Yatsko in in uh, Miami in a super one time, a flat, fast super. And he put 30 seconds on me and then got stuck on a tire and then put a minute on me and then missed his spear throw. And both times oh. I went past, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm going to win and I'm going to take your money. But you beat me twice here,
2: and I'm still gonna like it's it's tough to see that kind of thing happen, yeah, um but yeah, it's um, I wanna to return to the um the competitive element in one second, but that like racing and feeling stuff for each other I've done that with Nikolai many times i've been somebody's been like telling me it's stupid, but Nicole and I were so good friends, and we've been racing head to head so many times, so when I see him do something that's not great and lets me overtake. I'm both happy that I'm now in the lead, but I'm also sad that my friend did something that messed up his race. Um, and it's hard for me to just like go in the start line and be like, I'm gonna just kick ass today and be a macho man and nobody else is like gonna beat me. It's hard for me to get that attitude. I know, I, I would like to have more of that like warrior uh, spirit and I wanna do the best that I can, but it's just it just feels like it's, if it's on behalf of somebody else's performance, like I want everybody to perform their best and then like beat them, I feel like that's more more fun. That said, I mean the only reason I won European champs in 2019 was because it started raining, and in the rain I'm the best because uh, I'm stronger, uh, and I knew that as soon as it came down raining, I was in third place, and I was like, thank you, somebody. Like this is. Exactly what I needed right now. And I, I won with 17 seconds because of rain and my competitor fell down an obstacle because it was wet. And I was just like, catching, yes, amazing. I needed it, but I also felt like he kicked my ass. I needed that win. But I mean, I was like, he fair and square kicked my ass up until that. And uh nothing I could do about that. But I got, um to return to that, I, I got caught up in, in the Jacksonville sprint and I was like, Maybe my my recovery has been good. Maybe all my hours on the assault bike has paid off. Maybe my running is not as horrible as I thought. I wonder what could happen when I come to Savage Race with obstacles that I know well and I can perform really well on. And then I lost my control of why I came on this trip performance-wise. Because I was like, in my mind, I was dreaming of doing well in Savage. Like most of us would, if we like felt like there's a chance, we like we dream of it, we like visualize the win, we visualize um, the glory and the honor and of the battle and and all those things. And I couldn't get that out of my head. I was like, I was having positive dreams. I was like, man, am I? Is this? It, it made me so happy. Until I started running in Savage, I was like, fuck, this is bad. <laughs> like I had no turnover. I went out at. Um, 330 per kilometer that's a 35 minute 10k on flat that's like the pace i went out and i feel like it was fast but conservative and they just left me dusted me like straight up they just everybody went out super hard and i expected them to make mistakes i expected the they compared other guys to make mistakes on obstacles and they didn't really do it but that's okay the worst part was that I ran out there, and all that positive energy I had from Jacksonville, all that positive energy, it was hard for me to um, to convey. Oh, the video's not even on.
1: Oh, it's not on. The God video's not it. even
2: on. VJ and is here. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> Hello, guys. I just what wanted a shame. to photobomb, but we can't do that. No, I couldn't get the camera. We
0: too. got nothing. Yes, <laughs> I think you're still on. Yeah. You're muted, Bracken. The professional Bracken is still muted. We've got
1: the, uh, the 12 o'clock bells going in the background at the church here.
2: No, but um so i was running there and then i was like who i got all these thoughts like who am i fooling like what all that positivity that i got from jacks was just destroyed like doing that i was like who am i fooling it's hard for me to run here i'm not even catching up on people like blah 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 blah." um and i think the only reason i was so hard on myself was because i had changed my sin i had changed my like goals um just by intuition from feeling good in Jacksonville and I've been having to restructure that a little bit going into San Luis Obispo because I've been having knee pain in Colorado when running so I'm like I'm not even sure if I'm racing on Sunday and if I'm not I want to be 100% okay with that I want to come in and be okay with that I don't want to be at the sideline crying my eyes out uh, and just be like oh my uh, so sad blah blah blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to be okay with that and I think I think that's it's not necessarily easy but it's necessary in order for me to have a recovery process from this injury in a good way and the, the pains i'm getting are weird so i'm lucky enough that i'm getting an mri next week and i have an x-ray the week after that so we can look into this and find out why i'm still like experiencing pain um but on on, on the motivation level you say wait, so first far, of all
1: how does that work are you just paying out of pocket over here or are you wait until you get home
2: Oh, I get, I wait until I get home, and oh, then. Okay. um So you're
1: done. There. You fly home after the race Sunday.
2: Yes, uh, we fly oh. out on Tuesday. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, continue. Yes, fly home on Tuesday. Um, yeah, gotta go home. Since I picked up Ernst and Young as a job, I, I, I mean, I have flexibility, uh, but not not that much flexibility. I would have loved to stay. Some friends are trying to convince me to go to San Francisco for a week, but I can't. I have work, and also my grandparents. Uh, today actually is the 50th uh, wedding anniversary. So I have to remember to give him a call. And uh, next Saturday, they're having a party. So if I'm not there, I think my uh, very small inheritance is going to go down the drain if I don't go to that party. <laughs> I don't want to risk that. So um, better go home.
0: Smart man. You take care of your grandparents. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I want to ask you something here that I think you have better perspective on than most anybody that we've spoken to, maybe Bracken. Um is i think you probably have as good a perspective as anybody as far as the european contingency versus the american contingency um a lot of people like me i'm especially curious what it would be like to go over and race europeans and actually get on your turf and race versus you know and you've come out here and experienced both probably maybe john elbin maybe would be the Close bracket, maybe to how much he's come over, but that'd be it. I can't think of anybody else. Can you? Maybe Miriam. What
2: oh, yeah, do you Miriam's think? been traveling a lot. Miriam, yeah, sure. yeah she, but she stays in her comfort amount. zone. She does say a Spartan races. Yeah,
0: zone. I can't think of anybody else. But the- no, I think Leon's most qualified. Yeah, and so, so I would like. I think the listeners are very curious about this too, because listen, we're proud over here, right, Americans, and we think we're the best. <laughs> And then you hold an OCRWC over there in England and you smoke the American contingency, even including an Atkins and some of the favorites, right? They get beat down. And then you go to Abu Dhabi off of American soil and the Americans get embarrassed. And yes, that's the right word, embarrassed. So I think we're a little delusional over here as to how good we are necessarily. And so I want you to shed some light on just the differences that you notice between like European racing and racers and the quality of racers versus the American or North American contingency. Like what do you see as the big difference between the two? And you can go any direction you want with that, but I'm sure you have some thoughts.
2: My first thought is storytelling Um, and media. So over here in America, we have great podcasts. We have people who really care about the community and want to talk about performances and so on if um we i want to take example in in three european athletes there's Sergei Perevikin from Russia who's currently in the uh, the UAE in Dubai uh Thomas Buell from Belgium and then Richard Hynek from um, oh no is that Czech or Slovakia or oh, oh. one of the eastern european countries i think it's Czech republic um Perlikin travels and he's done well in in Spartan races and European champs and so on he's done well in all the aspects and, and the Americans know of him they know how good he is and they talk about him on the podcast uh, Richard, Czech, Heine- Czech, Richard
0: Czech Republic
2: Czech Republic Richard he- Richard Heinek has uh, won the trifecta World Championships so he's he's good Thomas Buell can kick everybody's ass like he's a good runner he can he's from Belgium a Belgium champion he's done well in almost anything. And um, we just don't have people telling the stories of these guys. And I don't think the storytelling in America is that the Americans are better than some of the European guys and girls. Because we have, especially the the female competition in in Europe is strong. Like we have strong competitors who can complete obstacles and they can even run quite well. Um, The storytelling is not that the Americans are better. It's just that it's hard to comment on a scene that is an Atlantic Ocean away that, that listeners don't understand or know about anyway. So since most of the media is American, we talk about races in America. Like we talk about uh, we can talk about Spartan Jacksonville without having to introduce it on this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. You could not do that on a European podcast in the same manner. And in most most of the European OCR community is more interested in following the American OCR community, uh, OCR competition than the European, because the coverage is better, and I know it's easy to talk down the coverage of like Spartan and so on. It's easy to say it's not good, but something is there, and there's like a who's going to win, and there's um, there's talk about competitors and so on. So it's a matter of storytelling. I, I don't think that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be the positive guy and say uh, there's there's probably nobody who's going to say that the Europeans are not great uh, or that it's a good quality of athletes. There's, nobody who can, there's almost nobody who can do this full-time except some of the Russians. And who knows that, how's that going to be like, during the crisis and the war at the moment? How's that going to be in, in the future? How's that going to leave? Like, I mean, the Russian ruble dropped down more than 99%. And I'm sure that the, most of the Russian athletes don't want to, they don't support what's going on. They're very open about that on social media. But they lost 99% of their value in their bank account if they want to travel. That's insane. Like that's gonna hurt them. What? How's that gonna lead to that in the future? I'm I'm not sure. Um, But in America, we it's it's it's, we we are used to talk. I say we you we. I, I feel like I'm part of it. Let's do that. We, we we're good at talking about sports. We're good at highlighting things. We're good at talking about things like the best ever, the goat, MVP. We're good at talking about stats and numbers. That's like it's a cultural thing. It's a little bit different in Europe, um, but that doesn't take away the fact that there are very, very competitive athletes over there. Um, The um, Italian Basilico, who did very well in Abu Dhabi, if he was to come over and run any race here, he'd be a top three contender in almost anything. uh, Gregoire Basilico. He's insanely fast, and he can obstacle as well. Insane, like, it's stupid fast. And I would love to bring a guy like Thomas Buell over, but he doesn't have the finances to do so and now he's a father and he doesn't like the, the, his kid is not that old he actually went full-time pro ocr athlete just before covid he quit his job at the police he performed well he ran better than ever um he was touching on that 1440 on the 5k and he moved well into rain and he he obstacled really well um and then covid hit and uh, six months later he was like i'm going back to the police like it's impossible mm-hmm. for me to to make money out of this but he started traveling more came to denmark several times went around did stuff um he's a guy that would be a legitimate problem i've, I've watched him a lot
1: because um, i coach a few uk athletes so i'm i'm keeping up to tabs on the ocr series over there so that we can ooh. train properly for that and they put up some good post-race videos and thomas looks the part on video usually people don't look fast on, oh, on he And he looks fast at every single stage of the race, and -hmm. he's not bad on obstacles either. So I agree. There are guys over there that could do just as well over here, but yeah, the narrative's not there. And every time you travel, it throws a wrench in the plan. Every time you try Mm -hmm. someone else's style of race, your first one's kind of a freebie. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's different. Even the first Spartan race I did overseas was different. The first Dubai Spartan race I did was not the same feel. I went down to Mexico City for a Spartan race. It was not the same feel. Obstacles were a little bit different. Rules were a little bit different. And then there's the language barrier. Having a start line introduction in a language that you only understand half the words. And then having volunteers and officials on course giving you instructions that when your heart rate's at 180, you suddenly don't know half the language anymore. (laughs) You know, all those things play in. And since transitions and seconds count so much and staying up in the flow of a race, mm-hmm. all those tiny little hiccups remove your ability to be at your best. So it is it's it is unfortunate that we don't see more crossover, like an alternating world championships overseas versus America constantly or sending companies sending people over for one race and then back for another because we end up seeing standalone events that get judged a little bit maybe more weighty than they really should.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's hard to to judge everything equally when it comes to, like, what, what are we actually seeing and what are we actually experiencing. Right. And I think with San Luis Obispo coming up in a few days, we, we can only judge how people are doing this year based on that experience. And there's going to be an insane amount of competition in San Luis Obispo. Like, really, really strong guys. Really, really, really strong girls as well. So, even... Even though Nicole's injured and Annie, Annie Dupe is, is injured, the, the competitive element in the women's field is still insane. Um, right. Let's, let's, let's though... look at your travel partner, for example,
1: Ida. Mm-hmm. If Ida mm-hmm. comes out and wins and then goes back overseas and we don't see her again until Worlds, mm-hmm. she's going to be regarded as one of the top three women in the world. Oh, for sure. For if sure. she If something goes wrong, let's say she crumbles on a carry or misses her spear or mm-hmm. just has a bad day, and we don't see her until Worlds. The narrative is going to be that the, the European women are overhyped mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. every single female or male over here that has a bad race is going to have seven more races to change their narrative. <laughs> and you only remember the most recent race as an, as an athlete. Mm-hmm. We will remember all of them, but the audience remembers your recent ones.
0: Mm-hmm, and so
1: mm-hmm. since we see these little snapshots, we put more weight behind them than we need to. No, John Albin had the can't race at altitude or can't do heavy carries narrative because we mm. see him once a year at altitude with heavy carries, <laughs> and then suddenly he won worlds and they're like, oh yeah, he's good at obstacles. Whereas everyone overseas knew, yeah, he's great at obstacles. He just got he had one snapshot per year that didn't always go perfectly. So you guys are at a disadvantage. Same way when we come over, we had some really good obstacleers come over to London for OCR Worlds that year. Oh yes, and do poorly. And everyone says, well, the, OC- the U.S. is weak at true obstacles, which is the narrative as a whole is true, but some of those athletes that did poorly are actually much better than they showed. They Had you done that race again a week from then and now they got their feet under them, oh, the yes. race would have been different. But those individual race showings are too weighty and there's nothing we can do about that until we find a way to see each other more frequently.
2: And that you got to work with whatever... Data you have. Data, data. And then, um, and if if, it's hard because we also want to try to predict things. We also want to try to, like, say somebody's here, somebody's there. And actually, what you're just saying about how much results affect how we consider the competitiveness of somebody was one of the reasons I was like, should I even race if I go to America if I'm not at full fitness? And I've been trying, I've been having to be open about me not being there, not as an excuse. But more as a statement to myself, so it's so I'm not gonna be affected by it. I don't mind not being predicted as top something at a race this weekend. I don't even know if I'm racing. I'm having pain, my fitness not great. I'm okay with that. Mm. Most of the time. But of course, like it's it, it can hurt your feelings a little bit, um yeah. and all that. But um It's, it's the downside g- of off road racing.
1: So much of so many people love off road racing and I'm one of them. However, when you can't replicate a course, there's no way to judge it other than position. Exactly. And even UTMB, something like that. <laughs> yes. You can look at it every year and say, "Well, they added eight k on. We understand how this affects the time. Or it was a snowy year. Or it wasn't. But it's the same general competition each year, and you can judge year to year. Track, you know, triathlon time standards matter. There's mm-hmm. really no way of judging in an off-road sport other than head-to-head competition. And it's so different. Like if you, if the three of us raced in San Luis Obispo, Breckenridge, Dubai, Florida, um, maybe Andorra, we would have different results every single time. And we understand because different courses play to our strengths and weaknesses and our skill set. But if we only get to race once, that's now the final judgment on where people rank.
2: I lost you for a few seconds there. Sorry. Uh, nah, it doesn't matter. Sorry. Uh, just say, it, oh, oh, that's
1: exactly right. I couldn't agree exactly more. That's
2: exactly right. I once did that in an exam in something. I, I, I was just full and fake it till you make it. I've done that a few times. Like uh, if you're if – you're, The evaluator is like, oh, it's exactly like what happened in Japan in 1960. Like it is exactly what happened in Japan back then with the economy. You have no fucking clue. Just go for it. Like see see what happens. (laughs) Kirk,
1: are you ready to hear about the injury or do you want to dive more down this rabbit hole?
0: Um, No, I definitely want to get into the injury. I just want to know. I just want you to uh, not – Sp- not spare feelings. I'm going to ask you a couple of direct questions between European yes, racing like and this. and North American racing. Mm. Um, who has the better obstacle, obstaclers, and why? Now that you've had some experience back and forth.
2: Mm, mm. Uh, there's some... Uh... There's some guys over here and some girls who complete obstacles quite well. And some actually do very, very well. I like to see both Aaron Newell and, and Ryan Kempson go through obstacles. Um, I think they move well. They have good body control. VJ is also one of those who has amazing body control. The reason that European athletes generally uh, perform better when it comes to obstacle completion in terms of technique and even strength is because we have to train for very different obstacles. Like the European Championships, the federated one, has very complicated and many different obstacles. And if you want to be ready for that, you need to train complicated and different obstacles. And also, if you want to race more than one type of series or one, not not just like your big national race, you are forced to have to do obstacles from different race organizers. And in America, if you're racing both... um, Indian Mud Run and Savage Race and Spartan Race and Battlefrog, then you need obstacle efficiency and strength for all those four different organizers um, to do well. And uh, the people who have a broader um, um, input of obstacles, they can also train more specifically for that. And they are normally the ones that does well at, for example, OCRWC, where they're going to launch new obstacles every year, if you are adaptable with new obstacles, you do that often, you're going to excel. If you do uh, the same obstacles over and over again, you're going to be ex- insanely good at those obstacles. And I'd, I'd love to be better at Spartan obstacles, but my, my biggest strength is that you can throw a totally new rig in front of me that I've never touched and never seen. And I will probably get through that faster than most other people who are thrown at that same obstacle with l- as little experience on it as I do, because I've done so, I've done so many different races and uh, different obstacles, and, and some of those obstacles have been so dumb, and some of them have been amazing. Because like, you also, they, that's the that's the other side of the coin. If you if you do a broad variety of, ra- of obstacle races, and some of them are like kind of smaller organizers that don't have like structure or standards or maybe finances or They don't test things very well. I've been at an obstacle in Poland that just like broke on me. I was crawling like a koala bear underneath a wooden thing, and it just came off, and I was just on my ass on the on the ground. Like it just, I loved the obstacle, but it was it it affected my entire race because it was a 400 meter race. It affected my race that the obstacle broke on me. Uh, and I was confused, and then that, that was a language barrier, like we talked about, Because I was like, "Do I have to retry the obstacle?" And somebody in Polish was like, "Blah blah 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 blah," and I was like, "What the fuck does that mean? Uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do?"
0: Um, I would have moved right on so, at that point. That's not on yeah, you. I
2: looked in. If we got it on
0: once, you did
2: on video, and I was like, I ran forth and back a few times. You had an obstacle break on you.
1: Yeah, I was doing a a rig at a a race. You had to wear a 20-pound weight vest for the whole race. It was a really cool race, really well done. But at the last minute, they added a final um, couple handholds to rigs, and they were wooden carved pistols. They had had nunchucks, grenades, and pistols made up the Ah, the handholds on the rig. And the pistol snapped off. The butt of it <laughs> snapped off in my hand <laughs> as I was on the last one.
0: <clears throat> that's it. You went on, right? You just continued. I
1: stopped. I said, "All right, what's the call here?" And they yeah. said, "You get to go on." I said, "I'm keeping this thing." I'm keeping I tucked it in my thing. vest and
0: I ran on. <laughs> uh, okay, Leon. So, I'm un what I'm understanding, is Europeans are better, better obstacles as a whole. You saying that?
2: Um, Which I'm yes, okay that's with. What, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm saying that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay um let's talk running because i know everybody over here thinks we are faster runners but i don't know if that's necessarily the case you've raced against both as bulk i'm talking like as a whole not standouts because obviously we know john albin can run fastest or faster than anybody um mm-hmm. we're looking at bulk who's got the better runners as a collective group the europeans or the north americans
2: north americans and it's um extremities of course like uh, europeans have people in both ends of the field, but you can perform decently in European in the European OCR scene without being as good as a runner as you need to be in order to perform well in America. And therefore, it's, mm. it's normal in North America to strive towards being the better runner as your main training goal because there's going to be a direct correlation between your running level and your performances. Of course, like we saw... I, I love Alvaro. I think he's cool. Now that we can talk a bit more and write more in Spanish, I I, I get to understand him and his history better. Um, and he's he's a standout good, good, good fast runner. But he's done, what, like 12 Savage races? And he's podiumed at maybe three. Because um, the other ones, he, he fails an obstacle. Um, so if you... You can be a great runner, but you also need to add things in. But it, it feels like it, the effort to add in that element to complete the obstacles, at, le- at least at a decent level, is not that much of your training. Like, I remember it's not long ago, Lindsay wrote, I do like an hour and a half of strength work a week now. I didn't necessarily use to do that before. Like, I can train 15 hours a week and only five of those being running. Like, the 10 other hours are. <laughs> A alternative cardio, strength work, mobility, obstacle play, and so on. So what would
1: a standard be? Over here, we like to say that on the men's field now, you've got to be a sub-16-minute 5K runner to have any chance of staying with the group at a big race. Mm -hmm. What's Mm -hmm. the standard in Europe to stay with the main pack to be able to not get just dropped on any
2: flat? What is a rough 5K needed? I've been... Ever since I cracked like 1630, I've been capable of keeping up decently. It's a different game if Thomas Buell and Nicola Damas in the race because they're faster and mm-hmm. they will take it out and show you that they are faster than you. So if the, if, if the race has a few, but it's always a few like the main group, and also you can run knowing that things might change or will most likely change during the race. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, over there. So running becomes... like When I won European Championships in 2018, I won a two-mile distance. I won that by four minutes. (laughs) Doesn't really make sense, right? And Mm -hmm. I ran a 16.45 three weeks before that. And finished 10th in a toughest race about four weeks before that. Got my butt kicked by nine... Scandinavians like heavily, even though I obstacle quite well. So that race was very unique in the sense that obstacles played a, and a massive role. It w- it played such a big role that Albin walked out the race annoyed. He was like, "I'm not running this shit. I can't complete the obstacles. I hate it." Mm. He got really angry, and that's totally fine. Like it came as a surprise for most of us.
1: Was but that that form-
2: rainy year in the UK? No, we were in Denmark, and it wasn't oh, rainy. Was? They had uh, guys. They had insane. Like especially the last part was was like. It was it was on the edge of like crazy dumb. They had <laughs> a what's that in feet? Let me I have to think. Um They had two about two hundred and seventy five feet rigs back to back.
0: Two seventy five
2: feet or two hundred and seventy five feet? Two hundred seventy five feet long rigs. So like the length of a track,
0: a hundred meters, we'll call
2: it. Yes, almost 100 meters. It was like uh, 75 meters-ish. Um, uh, straight through? F- no, you had three, uh, two platforms on him. So there were the three sections, and you could rest in between. 25-meter so, rest, 25-meter rest, 25 meters. And the last part of the first of that, and that's like this third last obstacle, the last part of that was three laches, not two bars, but to rotating wheels that you had to grab around it, get your hands in. Like you needed an ins- you needed insane body control to do that, and the women had to complete the exact same shit. So on the short course that day, only one woman came through the entire course. Is that obstacle racing? No, it's not. It's insanity. It's, like it's called survival. It was survival, and I I'm a former ninja warrior, so I I mean I did well with those things. I did so well that I won uh, the entire thing. But the self-talk after was interesting because I didn't feel like I was a great obstacle racer. I went to my boss and was like, I want to give it a shot, but it's because I felt like I had capacity, not because I had fitness level. I had capacity to do well and to increase because my running was only going in the the right direction at that point. I was like, imagine when I run a minute faster, I'm going to be so good. I had that feeling, I'm going to be so great. Um, But the next year we had to race European champs in Poland. And this being a federated event, you would imagine it had some kind of a standard, but it really didn't. We ran a four-mile course instead of a two-mile course, which changed things up heavily. We had um, we had elevation gain, and the obstacles were never as long because the length of those obstacles were insane. Of course, they shouldn't be that long. It's more ninja or survival than it is obstacle racing, but they were still very complicated and demanding. Um, but winning the second year, finally gave me the confirmation and affirmation I needed to feel like a competitive OCR athlete so I haven't f- started to feel properly like somebody who wanted to be a competitive OCI athlete since, um, until after European Champs 2019 and that gave me great training leading into London for the OCI WC, I finished 5th um, very close to the podium in the short course and I was like this is going to be amazing um but yeah, my mom passed a few months after that and COVID hit, kind of changed things up a little bit. And then I had to restructure things. I came back to Colorado a year later in order to to get that feeling and build that feeling for the upcoming season and then a fracture. So I, I don't know if I'm like pushing hard now to do well because I'm annoyed uh, that I didn't get the chance to do it when I felt amazing um, or what it is but I'm still hungry to find out what is what can the best possible Leon do. And I think I have a good idea of where it's not that I want to win specifically. I'd love to win the world champs. Like, I've, I'd fucking love it. It would be great. Yeah, $8,000, a gold medal, a title. Wow, amazing. I'd love it. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't love that? Who wouldn't want to w- win the lottery as well? Like, it would be great. But most of all, I'm I'm annoyed that I haven't gotten the chance to pursue my the best possible version of myself, um, and I started running late, so I've never had a chance to find out what was my best running. I feel like I'm pretty close to finding out what is my best, uh, for example, pull strength while being a runner. Um, I'm happy with that. I want to try to see running and obstacle wise what what I can do, and it, that's that's worth pursuing because that's such a personal goal that you can bring with you for the rest of your life. And I'm not, I'm never gonna be sad if it's the fifth place at Worlds or third or first. I'm happy with my fifth place in London because I ran with a simple motto, risk it to get the biscuit. And when I was about to overtake John Alpin for first place, I made a mistake on an obstacle that put me in fourth position, which later led to a fifth position. But I could have been in the lead and maybe won the OCRWC in 2019. I took a chance on Gibbons. I failed hard and lost uh, the leading position, but I was not sad about that because I failed while trying to pursue the strategy that I believed in. Um, and I think that when it comes to being a semi-pro athlete, to return to that uh, element, the goal shouldn't be to. You should. The goal should be to be the best yourself. And if you if your goal is to make as much money as Atkins does that's a hard goal to to reach it, it's it's hard to reach a title as well you should, you should pursue it as much as you want but if it becomes an intrinsic goal to be your best self it's and you follow that through uh, to the best that you can i feel like it's that's stronger in a manner and it's it's something that's easier to bring with you the rest of your life and saying all right, i prioritize like five years out of my life to try to be the best boss possible obstacle racer or runner or calisthenics athlete or fucking cookie baker or whatever you want to be i prioritized time to do well there and i did the best that i could with the means that i had i mean that's great i love i love seeing that in in the age group races it was cool to experience in jacksonville with the u.s national series for the age group because people came out there like i trained for four months to be a good age group racer and i think great today i got fifth it's like man i just wanted to hug you i was like that's beautiful that is amazing it makes me so so happy It's a good point about if your goal
1: is a number, whether it's a price or a time, there's only one route. There's only one way of meeting that. There's a million ways to not meet that. Mm. But if it's more of a process or a mindset or a, a, I don't know, a, a an action, then there's a million different versions of attaining some sense of accomplishment through that goal. But yeah, binary
2: is binary it's, is it's one or zero <laughs> and as long yes. as it's not one you haven't done it mm. and i i mean i definitely have goals that are binary like i i have a, fi- a five thousand meter i want to run a certain time and if i don't hit mm-hmm. it i'm like ah, i didn't get it it's very annoying if i can accept why i didn't get it uh, i think it's better uh, but otherwise it's 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 something i really want to like pursue and obtain mm-hmm. and um I want to do the best I can do in order to to do that. I want to do the best possible training I can. I want to try to be smart smart about my sleep and about my food. I'm no saint. I I miss sleep every once in a while. I eat weird food every once in a while, and and everything like that. Nothing there, but I I try. Like I generally try my best.
0: Well, I know that you know you're 29, right? And using the word only before 29 probably doesn't feel right to you because you're the one who's 29. But you are only 29. Mm-hmm. And a uh, lot and lots and lots of time, I feel like, to still make it a worthwhile pursuit. Wouldn't you say that, Bracken, yeah. in your old age?
1: Yeah, I've got five years on you. Kirk has nine. Mm-hmm. Everything's a relative, obviously, but mm-hmm. you have time. A lot of time. I'm you actually, reached
2: I, your peak. I am actually 30. So take one year away from that, but it's still a lot of years, right?
0: Oh, wait. You're, I thought you were turning 30 this summer.
2: I turned 30. Sorry. Uh, my nose has been a little uh, stuffy, and sometimes words come out. Uh, <laughs> still 30. 30 yeah. still. Got time. Yeah. We um I PR my 5 By K the way, hope I've been one. understandable generally is is I mean, English is my second language, so uh, it's uh, sometimes uh, um hard to put things out exactly the way you would do in your mother language. I
0: don't think Thanks, you man. missed a beat. Yeah, I think we should, Bracken, I think we should move on to the injury and, and yeah. dive in. I know you guys spoke this week, I believe, mm. so you have a little we more insight little... than I do.
1: We had a nice little chat two days ago. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's important for people to understand the injury. I think you should walk us through it and then walk us through the road back because far too often when we deal with true professional athletes, injuries don't seem to be weighty. They get injured, they're carted off, everyone's teary-eyed and sad, and then six months later, they're back doing what they're supposed to do, and they're like, oh, they're way ahead of their timeline, and this is what happens when you're a pro athlete, and you have access to all the best, and they're freaks of nature. They just come back, and they do what they're supposed to do, and that seems like the standard. That's the status quo now. You just recover quick, and you're fine, and you come back better. that's not the way the human body works universally. Those people are outliers. So I
2: want to hear your entire process. I think it's good to hear. Exactly what you just described has been a massive frustration in my life this past year. I'm like, yeah, my body is pretty damn good. Like, I mean, I'm pretty athletic. I have a certain amount of talent and blah, 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 blah. Why don't I just like bounce right back? Everything has been past due in my recovery process here. (laughs) And it's been very frustrating when you see those things and you... Exactly what you're saying is that it's not normal. It is outliers who bounce back from things, and maybe that injury they got um, sounds horrible in paper, but isn't that horrible? Um, but I mean, already from the start, I broke my tibia by a impact fracture during Savage Race Georgia last year, at the end of March. I was running down a, a hill. It's not a mountain, just a steep hill uh, on course, like a rolling thing, and. Then, on my way down, you know, the, your for, your your direction of force is, I'm pointing here, like you guys can see me. <laughs> the your direction of force is towards the ground and also uh, forward. So you're kind of like an angle between down and sideways. You're still like kind of hammering down with your direction of force. And when you reach the bottom and you're no longer <laughs> running downhill, you're running flat. You got to change your direction of force to a flat, like a direction where you're running, and. Between that directional force, I jump over a small hole. I definitely overstride in order to not step into a hole and, and potentially hurt my ankle. My foot glides on something slippy. And because my foot glides, my knee is no longer above my foot. My knee is a little bit behind. And that leads to the knee bending the wrong way. And the fracture comes...
0: So you bending. hyper... You're like You like... Hyperextended your your knee like it straightened and then it went beyond straight like bent the wrong way is that what you're bent describing the wrong way okay. and
2: the way that my surgeon says the injury came is that the femur went through the knee banged on the tibia and knocked off a sizable piece of the tibia Ugh, that's possible um,
0: to do that sounds terrible that,
2: that that i didn't i've never broken a bone and i when I went to like the medic tent, and some somebody like re- some really nice guy stopped his race to carry me off course, because um, you know when if you like twist an ankle, you kind of like bobble out, and you're like, "Fuck, my ankle hurts," like, and um, and maybe you have to walk for a few minutes before you can jog, and maybe the race is over, or maybe you want to pursue it again, but you still like everybody's gotten a little bit hurt on on in a race, and like con- decided to continue, and you're kind of like people are, like, "Are you okay?" And you're like, "I'm kind of okay." People ask me, are you okay? And I panically like, was just like, no, 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 no. Something's wrong. I had never experienced anything like that before. I crawled a little bit out <laughs> the way. But from that step where I broke my leg, it took eight and a half weeks before I stood on my foot again, before my foot touched the ground again. Um, we didn't know what it, what it was. And I talked. I called home and explained things. And actually nobody... A said bone break, fracture. Nobody said fracture because it's unlikely that I fracture a like, leg by my own body weight, in like just like that. So, we talked about ACL, MCL, meniscus, and since it's the knee and the pain is there and it's like swelling heavily, it's like it would make sense for some of those things to happen. Um, so, I could either at that point stay in America and go to an American hospital and pray that my travel insurance would pay for it. Or I had a flight seven hours later. I could get on that flight, three different flights, and go to Copenhagen and go home to a system I know and people close to me and my girlfriend at the time and have that sense of safety and security. So I went home. It took me 21 hours of travel um, to get home. Alone, you said? Alone, I had help from Lori Poole, who was uh, um, who also helped me out in Georgia, getting me from the airport to the venue. She's so nice. I just met her again at Savage. We had dinner, and um, so she helped me out. She has a kid about my age. Um, so when I was there, feeling horrible and sad, they were like, "Who do you want to talk to?" And I was like, "Give me Lori," because she felt <laughs> like she had that mama vibe, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> something so comfortable about her. Um, she helped me out get to the airport.
0: How'd you sit on the and plane?
2: Poorly and and painfully. It <laughs> was it was it was a tw- it was twenty one hours of pain. Like they got me on and off the plane with a wheelchair, and I got a wheelchair there. Um, we tried to put a compression sock on me because the biggest risk of flying was honestly a blood clot. Because when you're oh. when you have that much um, um, swelling. swelling swelling um then there's a big risk of blood clots and i understood that but i talked to a doctor who was like you're young strong athletic the swelling looks like this you can probably fly and i was like i'm flying i'm out of here like i'm going home i don't want to mess around with getting a new covid test i don't want to mess around with waiting and 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 maybe an american healthcare system that i didn't know um I didn't want to, and I just changed my travel insurance before that. I, did, I didn't read the small print. I'm not sure. Like I'm not, I was just like I'm not testing it. So when I get home, go to the apartment. I live. I live less than a mile from the airport. Um, some friends and my 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 ex pick me up. We go to go to the apartment, and they're like, "Do you want to just sleep?" And I was like, "No, I think we should go directly to the hospital." So we went there. I luckily had a friend I could call and he made sure that when I arrived at the ER, uh, the emergency room, um, somebody, they knew that I was there. They knew to take things seriously. They knew to respect the fact that I, cause we don't ha- like a pro. If you're a pro athlete in Denmark, you play football or handball. Basically we have one or two badminton players so we don't really have. Like I'm a runner. Like people don't give a shit. Like good. You can run later. Like they don't really care, but I, a good friend of mine understood what I do. He's a fan. Of, of OCR and he, so I called him his he's a doctor. I was like, dude, you got to get me like, I need like good care right now. Um, he made sure I got a scan and they manhandled me because they wanted to check the meniscus and that was, I cried. It was very painful. I actually, on the plane, I actually did a significant amount of crying. I'll be hundred percent honest there because I was scared. Like the pain was real. Like the physical pain was horrible. And um, I was in three different planes. Getting in and out was horrible. Sitting was horrible. I only had very few degrees of movement. And any of those that I tested was horribly painful. But I was scared. I was most of all scared about um, not just my OCR career, but about my capacity to move well for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to risk not being capable of moving for the rest of my life I had that as a very like it's a bit of an epiphany I, I'll train I'll race as hard as I can I'm not risking the well-being of my body in order to run well at a race it's just not happening I love moving too much to to put that at a, at a risk um in the future so um get home at the hospital they scan me they're like oh we get back to you in about an hour and the doctor popped in like a minute and a half later she was like how the fuck did you break your leg? And I was like, did I break my leg? How, what, what? How did I, I had a fracture? Um, and <laughs> she was like, what did you do? It's like, I just ran down a hill really fast. She, like, we didn't get it, but it actually relieved me from a significant amount of worry mentally. And I could sleep for the first time after that. Because um, I, um, I kind of knew what I was dealing with. Because then I had a you know I just knew what was up, so I could talk to my team of like physio, I could reach out to an osteopath, I could talk to my doctor and we could structure these things. and a, a broken bone, you kind of know what you get. If you like partially rare uh, if you partially tear an ACL, fuck, that's like an undefined recovery process. That's horrible. Um, there was I mean, no like,
0: oh, there was no soft tissue damage as a result of that break with so much movement in your knee. No, like,
2: so, ligament damage? I'm still having pain right now, and I have a genuine fear that it has something to do with soft tissue. Mm. But I'm not sure. Uh, I got an MRI. not at that time. I only got an x-ray to see that the fracture was there. I didn't get an MRI until they put metal in my leg. If you scan it like with a, a bone with a metal in it, and with an MRI, the metal is going to, like, glow up hard, like, a lot. So it's close to impossible to see to see the structure of, for example, the meniscus or your, your tendons. What kind of metal was put in? Um, two aluminum screws. I still have them at house. They took it out in December after Abu Dhabi. And that's why you can now get new scans and find out what's going on? Exactly, and that's why I'm mm. getting them. So we should be capable of seeing things better. So it, either I fear either soft tissue, soft tissue or tendon stuff right now, or it's because the top, of my t- the top of your tibia bone basically has a little bowl in it. And that bowl has to be smooth, like really nice and smooth. Because everything is moving around in it. Um, mine is no longer smooth because there was a fracture there. So there's a line where the bone grew back together. And that line is not smooth. So when stuff moves around on that thing, that in itself could create pain. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure those things out now. Uh, is that something is? that you live with it, or are they go in and shave it down? That's the undefined element because we don't know if that is a thing or if there's a soft tissue thing. I should have torn my, um, I should have torn or have torn my PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, yeah, yeah. which attaches to your um, fibula, the small bone next to your tibia. But instead of doing that. My tendon ripped apart a bit of the bone in my fibula instead. So my tendon managed to stay strong and just like tear apart the little bit of the bone in the fibula, which that, that little bone has given me some pain as well, but nothing crazy because it also got like seven weeks of rest after the surgery. It didn't need surgery because it was only like a tiny bone thing, tiny, mm. um, yeah, so 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 far it looked like tendons and meniscus stayed out of out of harm's way, which I'm very grateful about. Um, but they told me, oh, it's just a bone; it's good. the process is going to be this: like six weeks, that twelve weeks, that eighteen weeks, that. And I haven't followed that at all. I've been behind that schedule from like day one. Um, it's a bit frustrating. I know that feeling. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I told fold four, to, four
1: to six weeks on my first surgery. For back to to starting activity and after ten weeks I was nowhere near it. And I had a tendon pull a chip off a bone in my ankle and it was nine months before that ankle was close to right again. What? And again, young that was college. Young, strong, athletic, doesn't mm. matter. Mm-hmm. Like your body doesn't care about your statistics. It's gonna heal no. or it's not.
2: Like that that bone is not gonna listen to your doctor. It doesn't give you a it doesn't shit care about, about, your about your PRs. PRs. No. Mm. Um, so yeah the injury has been quite something um, I'm happy it gave me time to um, like I finally found the surplus energy to start regularly with a psychologist for example to handle uh, emotions around the death of my mom and the entire element of becoming an orphan in your late 20s which is something that society doesn't really care about because you're a grown up mm-hmm. in the sense like if, if you're my dad passed when I was 12 society really cares if you're 12 and you lose a parent again like, um, the school will help you out there's a lot of uh, communal like um, things that they offer you and uh, your your other parent is asked if they need help with things and so on if you're 28 and you lose your a parent or your last parent it's just on you right it's 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 kind of crazy because you're still you're an adult for sure but all of a sudden you're very alone and you probably lost your parent untimely and if you, something happens untimely it's not fair like it, it was cancer in this situation so i finally got around to getting talking to a psychologist about that but also about my injury and how that affected my emotions towards how i chose to live so i, I that's a really valuable thing to put out i think it's important to mention it as well because there is a and I'm only talking statistics now, but there's a, a very large percentage of men who probably could benefit from talking to psychologists but don't because they're men. And I think it's, it's okay to mention that it's important to talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be death and uh, like, uh, it doesn't have to be sorrow. It doesn't have to be a life crisis about what you want to do. Just like a, a mental massage is, uh, is healthy as much as a, a massage that your calf is if you overstrained your Achilles and your calf a little bit. Um, I tried to manage it differently. I'm a national uh, spokesperson and ambassador for the Danish uh, Cancer Awareness Association. Um, and I travel around and hold speeches about the uh, impacts and effects of cancer and trauma and uh, living in it and being in it and uh, addressing it. Um, so it's not that I can't communicate about these things, but I did it, I've been doing it a lot publicly and not necessarily intrinsically, so... In a the, in the sense, the injury gave me time and capacity for that. It also gave me finances to do it because I chose to pick up the job at Ernst & Young. They have a good insurance uh, that I benefited from, and I get paid an hourly rate. I actually get paid a very good hourly rate because I came in basically as a consultant, uh, which really worked out well for me. And I'm a good salesperson, so I'm, I was good at selling myself. <laughs> um, and um, what more? I'm I'm... I'm very happy I got to develop the Get A grip programs. I've sold sold more than 100 of those. Um, I think we had 160, 70 of those. And I have only heard amazingly positive feedback. Like, people are happy with it. And um, they, I put in a lot of love and quality in these programs. And to hear that people actually benefit from doing this type of training, it means a lot to me. Um, I'm also grateful that... Um, Mm, I felt like I had one more. I'm grateful the way that the community has handled my openness about the injury here. I'd love to be over here as a, as a top contender. I wouldn't love anything more to be. All right, Leon's coming over, top dog, ready to just give at it. Like he he, maybe he's gonna run out and. And battle it out with uh, Jones and Atkins, and not just Iron He's a beast. He's gonna outrun. Like he's gonna run really fast. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, I, I'd love to do that, but it's it's not the case. But I'm still m- being met with love and uh, compassion, and the community is great. And I feel like often that admiration only goes to like the top three guys or girls. But there's more to it than the performance element. So. Injury has been poop. It still is. And um, it's going to annoy me until I figure out a way to perform the way that I want to perform. I have like three months until European champs. Three months. And I, I'm willing to put in that work because um, I want to win that race again. I'm the reigning European champion. I'm not going to let that title or let that performance disappear just because I'm sad. I'm going to work the shit out of it to do the best possible thing I can. And if, if I'm just spent... I've done that before. If I'm just spend six hours a week on an assault bike trying to do my intervals and cardio next to my right i'll do it i don't give a shit i'll do it i won't always be happy been there. But i'll figure out a way to do it um and i'm willing to do that and yeah
0: um how long have you been back to running leon since your first whatever you want to quantify as your first real run back after injury how long have you been back running
2: early august i did five by one minute
0: <laughs> yeah baby steps the-
2: at early September, I did five by five minutes. Okay. And then I ran OCR Worlds. Before OCR Worlds, my longest consecutive run was five miles. And what did you take at OCR Worlds? Eighth. Eighth. Wow. Yeah. How does... I was I was, so, I was more surprised than anybody else. Because I was running up the mountain next to Sean Roberts, and I was like, what is happening? Like... My body is like it's, it's reacting well to it. I mean, I had done alternative cardio, but I was so 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 surprised I'm, about that. I it, built
0: my yeah. career on alternative cardio, so I mm-hmm. it's effective and done right, sir. It sure is. You've obviously learned that.
2: It 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 has power. It's hard for me to the the thing I I can't really tap into is speed when it comes to running right now. It's really hard for me biomechanically and also just breath wise to maintain speed work. Um, so I hope that changes over the next three months and I, I, I want to, I want it to change so I can feel, I can like open up with people on the running as well. Um, and feel that surplus energy there. How OCRWC was a very positive thing for me. And, and, October month was a good month for me of training. I actually hit a week doing, I think 35, 40 miles a week in October. And I did quality work as well. I met some uh, German runners, uh, a couple of girls, um, in, in Spain. Um, and I started running with it. They're middle distance runners and I did some of their training. I, I even paced a five mile tempo for one of them. Um, and I felt, I felt the, de- I mean, it was slower, much slower than a tempo would have been before or, or is now, but I, I did it without getting excessive pain. And from then on, I've been capable of doing some work but with a significant amount of limitation. I had the medal out in December and that gave me three weeks almost of no training. And mm-hmm. I might have rushed a little bit into it after that because my patience, my jar of patience was getting very low um, at that point. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: How many days a week have you been able to run now that you're back after getting the screws removed on average
2: on a good week? four to five
0: um not bad not, right
2: that's not so bad no. i'd it's take the, that it's the uh distribution and the distance which is uh the question here because i mean i'm still at the point where oh i want to do like a easy just extra thing that can be like one to two miles still um i still go out ambitiously with like a, a intensity workout because uh, you know it could work it could work <laughs> but it uh, it also could not work <laughs> Um, so I've had some decent intensity runs. I did, a, um, I did a 38 flat 10 K a week before I came here as a tempo effort. And that didn't give me pain. That was in an 10 and a half mile run. Um, and I was like, that was good. Two days later, I did took the next day off two days later. I couldn't run a mile and a half without pain and I couldn't, I ran slowly. So it's, it's a very give and a take kind of experience here. And it's very, how do I feel in the moment? um i often run with Ida. we do our some of our intervals together we just go to the track together and do stuff but it's been hard for me to say Ida, can i join like can we do this together because sometimes even during the warm-up i'm like all right i'm gonna turn around and run back walk back home and uh, just be a little bit grumpy for an hour because uh, this did not work um it is so it's so I I think there's,
0: I mean, Bracken, you've probably been through this, but it's one thing to wrap your mind around not being able to do a workout before you even try it. Being like, I shouldn't do it today. I'm just going to go hop on the assault bike. And you come to terms with that decision before the workout begins. It's another thing to play Russian roulette every time you put your running shoes on and you're emotionally committed and need that hard workout for your sanity that day. And you get started and have to pull the plug. That is the fast track to frustration more than any other type when not being able to work out is thinking you can and maybe being able to and beginning it mm. and then not and be having to make that stupid effing smart decision to stop again and mm. again. And you know you're capable and you know you're ready. It's just I feel for you, man. I've been there. That's the worst. The worst. We're I'm not trying to programmed. make you feel better, I guess. I'm just trying to relate to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're programmed to think that that uh, this this rehab's gonna be linear. I, for four mm-hmm. to six weeks, I do no impact, and then for two to three weeks, I start walking, then I walk jog, and then I can add 30 mm-hmm. seconds every interval for the next eight weeks, and now I'm back to running five by mile, and I'm fast, and that's acceptable. We can accept being on the bike three times a week because we mm-hmm. choose to because that's the program, but when mm-hmm. you have to give up the run and head back to the bike, those are the memories that are seared into my brain after these knee surgery that during the recoveries are the ones where I'd go to the same trail. It's a trail I haven't even run on since since my second surgery because my first surgery that was my easy recovery trail and i have so many terrible days there where i know i should be ready to run but i'm having significant pain in there that i can't explain and now i just have to get back in the car drive back home and then i'd end up not even cross training because i was so mad at life i'm <laughs> yeah, supposed like... to be able to run now
0: so happens
2: to me not relatable very relatable
1: and then you have people that get over this in weeks you know, there's NBA players who go over the same surgery I had, and they're playing six weeks later. And then there's people posting, oh, I had that. You'll be fine. I was back in six weeks." It's like, well, now I'm twelve weeks out, and I can't even complete a twenty-minute jog of one minute on, one minute off because I just mm-hmm. set myself back another week. It's there are those moments that make
2: you question, "What am I even doing anymore?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I believe that um, we can, we can overcome those, and and there's things on the other side um but it doesn't change the fact that it's f- really frustrating um to get into it i hope to see less and less um i know i respond well to being in warmer climates i luckily this summer got a sponsorship with a traveling agency to i've been in on the canary islands quite a significant amount because the weather is great and now it's a sport that's a sponsorship
0: <laughs> yeah. right there you might be winning that, more than anybody
2: that actually is i had i had like six trips to go and training resorts, everything inclusive, and it's been amazing. Um, so that was a huge win for me last year to get that because whenever I go there, I, I mean, I live at a sports resort, you know, like this three meals a day, they're super healthy. It's a buffet. You can choose whatever you want. You're right next to the gym. You're right next to the trails. You're right next to like, there's no transportation. The, The sun is shining. There's no excuses. There's not like oh, I gotta clean my room, or I can, I have to do my dishes, or you know any of those things. You just there that helped me out a lot. You so get, I don't respond well to heat. You and get Kolo to bring Bado actually.
0: You get to bring a hurt. guest with you by chance. I one, actually do
2: one free guest. I actually do, and I've been um, I've been happy to do that. All we gotta do is we coach a few classes every once in a while, like a daily class, and then uh, we're good to go. Wow, um, yeah, I brought my osteo twice. So that's a very smart to bring your osteo. I also brought a chiropractor because um, you, now you also have a team who can fix you if you overdo things a little bit or just like at the end of the day, drop a few needles, get like a 20 minute massage or mobilization. And on those trips, that's where I've done the biggest progress because I work online. And here at home, I, like, I want to go to the office. And when I'm at the office, you know, you stay there like an extra hour because you want to be a good colleague and stuff like that. So it's um it's when you're out you've really I've really been getting in uh the work and that travel sponsorship also came about the same time as my ex and I we broke up we've been together for 6 years and it also allowed for me to do something uh, I might felt like I needed and that's just escaping um a- away from like I mean I bought the apartment uh, for us and I don't mind being it's not that I'm emotional when I'm in it in that sense or get sad but you're all of a sudden quite alone, and then it's nice to go away and put, all right, now I'm an athlete. For the next two weeks in, in Fuerteventura on the Canary Islands, I'm an athlete. I think like an athlete, I eat like an athlete, and you're, you're in that uh, zone. So it's, it's been a good escape for me to to do that, and it's, the training has been great. And uh, yeah, without sharing details, it, I mean, Spain was also... Uh, the first place, I, I got a little few butterflies in my stomach. Um, like I, I met somebody who was like, well, "Yeah, actually, I feel something funny here." Like I didn't expect to uh, to experience that for um, for a long time, and that was that was interesting as well uh, as just as a human being uh, to feel that like interested about somebody else uh, in a way. And it wasn't even like that crazy. It's just like, well, I can I can have these uh, emotions. Like that's that's something as well. Um, he sounds delightful. Oh it was it really was yeah so it's been um, it's been really good actually and um i'm hoping to travel with them as well i have a race on the canary islands in a month and a half called bestial and funny race it's like a 12k race and the last 200 meters they put 50% of the obstacles um so the sounds, first... like,
0: sounds like San Luis Obispo this weekend. <laughs> yes,
2: there's like this huge gauntlet at the end of San Luis Obispo. And uh, anybody who runs this weekend needs to, even if they get dusted in the first like three miles, just you wait, you wait and see. Because that race is not over until you cross that finish line. Because anything can happen mm. in the last quarter mile when there's that many obstacles. Anything can happen. And that's fun racing because you... You never really let go of the speeder, like you kind of like you got to have your foot on it all the time, uh, and that's gonna be fun to see. I don't. It's either gonna be fun to do because I race, or I'm gonna be on the sideline, all like like cheered up, like yeah, go, people, run hard. It's gonna be fun. Um, are you? Are you guys both coming out for that race? Well, I am. Just you dark. are. All right. No break. No traveling for that. Nah. No. 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 no what um, what
0: are you thinking, I guess? Because we gotta work on wrapping this thing up here in a few minutes, so if you do race, are you going in with uh, this weekend in San Luis Obispo, or are you going in with a similar mentality as Jacksonville two weeks ago, where you're looking to get a tempo effort, or if you are going to toe the line, you wanna go and and race race like i I can't imagine you wanna go toe the line and and wonder how your knee's gonna hold up or wonder. I imagine you're either you're in or out, is what I'm I'm assuming, but I could be wrong.
2: If I if I have a similar pain in my knee tomorrow as I had yesterday or Sunday morning, I'm not racing, period. Um, it's gonna annoy me, but um, it was too pain. Like I walked out the plane and I, I almost stumbled over because of like knee pain. Um, it's, walking is the worst because it's like there's a certain bent and angle that's hard for me is especially when I've been sitting down also while we did this podcast, my leg has been like bending and like moving all the time, even though I'm sitting down just like mm. get motion. If I have pain, I'm not going to start. If I told the line it is with 99% going to be, uh, with the goal of a fun, hard tempo effort.
0: As in and don't I, I get can, carried away early with the stupid fast pace away, and then pick people up. Don't worry off. about it. Yeah.
2: Have fun, make a joke. Uh, like, yeah, stuff like that i made a joke heading into seawall before i knew you, you you fell off it on the sprint because i was right next to this other guy and i was like that Seawall's going to be muddy man yeah yeah good thing i brought my good arms for this race um, that's what you said to him i said that to him hope hoping it would get in his head a little bit it would be fun um he just nailed it boop, boop, cruise right through um but um
0: do you remember what z Wall yeah, I mean, you picked in particular this is a side note do you remember which one you picked which lane all the way
2: to the left Damn it. sunny sunny side.
0: Well, freaking Tyler and I got there together and he took that Z wall step in front of me, so I'm using that as my excuse. You're a smart man, that was the right call.
2: Yeah, cuz the day before the sun came from that side on that particular wall.
0: That was the only and wall that had sun on it.
2: You guys. Yes, and even guys. though it was a little bit cloudy that morning on the Sunday, sun would go through the cloud and dry that side of the wall faster. <laughs> mm. That was my thought. I was like, I'm gonna go for the left one. I did it yesterday. It worked, and it's gonna work again today. <laughs> Smart man. I was just curious. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I can I can go to the race on Sunday and, and relax. Not relax. I'm I want to run hard, but I don't want to like step into the like high high heart rate, like insane heart rate kind of experience. I'm gonna put on my heart rate monitor, my chest monitor, and I'm gonna look at my Garmin throughout the race. We're ra- we're wrapping up. I think we're Ida just came in in her sports clothes, and she's like, we are got to go run. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I want to join that. We're hitting up a trail here. We're in California now, so um going to go out and have fun. All All right. You better go do that. Hello. Hey.
0: You
1: here, Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> Can't see you, but
2: um, good
0: to see you.
1: Yeah, good to see you, too. So we need to get prepared for slow, so I'm going to steal lean for some running.
2: All right, well, good luck out there this Fine. weekend. Fine. <laughs>
0: Thank you.
2: <laughs> hey, guys, this was really fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I've been uh, listening to the podcast for a long time, and I, I love the way you guys uh, talk about things, and uh, not just the training Tuesday, 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 but also mm-hmm. uh, when you have guests on. I really uh, appreciate that. All for you, Leon. I agree. Thank I'm you. I'm looking forward to when you guys want to talk to me. Are <laughs> you
0: available next week? <laughs> I
2: could be. I could be. I think you are. For sure. We'll have yeah, to talk definitely. about that
0: podium coming up.
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you're gonna get all that hard. I don't know how you're gonna get all that hardware on the plane to get back home.
2: No. Oh, we brought an extra suitcase, guys.
0: We have a trophy case.
1: We have a trophy case, <laughs> and it's not a lie. <laughs> That's not confidence. Yes. I don't know yeah. what it is.
2: We went to uh, the Salvation Army, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, like second-hand store, <laughs> and bought a ten-dollar suitcase. Exactly. Put in all our stuff, and we also got pull-up bars from Stack Tracks at yeah. Uh, Jacksonville. Yeah. So we just we had to get an extra suitcase. <laughs>
0: yeah. Rolling in with a suitcase just for your trophies.
2: Oh yes. Yeah, and it's hard. It's so hard to travel yeah. with Ida. I have like one little triangle. <laughs> In a funny color, and she's just like it's just full of gold. Otherwise, like, she has like, an axe. I can't yes. check that. And I mean, you ax. can't carry that on. No, no. The axe has been uh, donated.
1: It's actually been donated to Tamaris gym
2: in, in Colorado. Colorado
1: because it's like uh, our American home. I hope. Yes. <laughs> mm. So yeah, so it's gonna be nice there.
2: It's gonna look good in the wall. It's gonna look. Did very you sign cool. it yet? I didn't sign. So we. Well, you guys so have, have a to come good back run. To sign it.
1: Have a good That's run. Good. Thank you for your time today. And Ida, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Sounds good, guys.
0: All right. Well, thank All you, right, Leon. Of course.
2: of course. Well, thank you. Thank you. See you later. Yeah, see you later. Ciao.